Welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 99. I am your host, Noah Rochetta, and today I'm doing something a little bit different. I was recently interviewed on another podcast called Presence Podcast that was recently started out by my friend Ken Sullivan. In an effort to help promote Ken's new podcast, he's allowed me to share the audio of our recent interview here uh, as an episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. So if you enjoy this episode, please check out Ken's new podcast and subscribe. It's called Presence Podcast, and you can find it on iTunes and all the other main podcasting places. And now I give you the audio of episode number four, Life Lessons with Noah Rochetta on Presence Podcast. You are listening to the Presence Podcast, episode number four, and I'm your host, Ken Sullivan. And today I have a very special guest with me, Noah Rochetta. Noah hosts the amazing Secular Buddhism Podcast. I love and appreciate his perspective and uncanny ability to teach with analogies and metaphors. And so I really thought it would be an awesome opportunity. And I also appreciate very much, Noah, the positive impact that I can see that you're having on the world. How is the um, podcast doing so far? It's doing really well. Continues to grow uh, month over month and year over year. So pretty excited about it. Awesome. So um, why don't you take a minute just to tell uh, any of our listeners about the um, series of workshops or anything else that you've been working on recently? Yeah. So the thing I've been working on most recently is uh, just the content for the podcast I am trying to develop an online workshop series, uh, mostly kind of explaining the fundamentals of what mindfulness is and kind of like a Buddhism 101 type course. Uh, that's still in the works, but for the most part, people can go to the, the podcast and listen to, to the beginning. The first five episodes are intended to be kind of a, a summary of basic Buddhist philosophy and concepts. But that's what I've been working on. Online workshop or visit yeah. in person workshop? No, my goal is to do an online workshop that uh, people can sub subscribe to and just take it on their own time. And, and I don't know if it'll be like a series of videos. I think it'll be a combination of videos and content to read through, but all all web based. Awesome. Do you do anything? I know you were talking about your trip to Nepal. Um, do you want us to mention anything about that right now, or because you already have such a big waiting list, should we not talk about that? Uh, we could mention it, it uh, mostly for next year because I will do it again. But um, yeah, this one is totally booked and has a long wait list. So is that the only thing that you're doing when it comes to like having people like any mindfulness or meditation type sessions that you're doing in person? It is right now. I'm considering doing a retreat while I'm down in Mexico. So, um, but it's just an idea at this point. But I do think it's very likely that while I'm down there, I'll host some kind of a mindfulness retreat in person. Nice. You know, and I hadn't even thought about this, but now that we're talking about it, I, I should invite you to come and help out with like one of our upcoming Surrender Lab sessions or retreats. We can talk more about that later. Cool. Amigo, but when we were having lunch down at the Vertical Diner in Salt Lake um, about a month ago or whatever it was, I just thought it was really powerful when you were describing your experiences volunteering in Africa and how you started seeing that 
you were having potentially more of a negative impact than a positive one while you were building schools and stuff. Do you want to briefly touch on that? Sure. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, we, we get in our mind the idea that we have so much to offer to other cultures or to other countries. And uh, Africa is one of those where the general mindset is, I'm going to go to Africa because they need my help or they need our help. And you get there, and it's a pleasant surprise to discover that for the most part, it's like, no, you get to go there and learn from their culture and spend time with them and see how happy most of uh, most of them are living out in uh, conditions that we would consider extreme poverty or, you know, we would think, oh, wow, these poor people who live this way, and yet they're out there and, the, and it works and they're happy. And oftentimes when we come over there and we're trying to instill our way of thinking and our set of standards of, well, this is a good way of living and you need this from us, uh, it can be detrimental because it's like, well, who's to say that our way of living is is the right way or any better than their way? And that was a fun experience to go out there with a group of volunteers, kind of with the initial mindset of, well, what do we have to offer only to have the roles reversed and realize how much uh, African culture and Africa in general has to offer us Westerners perspective on ways of living and you know what truly matters in life. Yeah, I remember you talking about how they um, they they would make like a little soccer ball out of what would you, what was it again like wrapped up plastic bags or something? Yeah, like plastic bags like you'd get at the store, just wadded up and then one wrapped over another over another until it's big enough to be a <laughs> soccer ball. <laughs> That's so awesome. But the, like over and over, you just saw they were just so happy. And then and then talk about how talk about how you started to perceive that you started to have this potentially an actual negative impact. There wasn't there an experience with one of the kids that you started, like, what was your first aha on that? We, we were briefed that we should be careful to bring toys. For example, uh, you have all these kids who are playing with sticks and uh, bottles or whatever whatever they have available there, and it's they're using their imagination. And then you, 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 know, you bring a toy or something out of your backpack, and then you hand it to one, and it kind of creates this moment of instability because it's like, well, wait a second, why does one kid get a toy? Now, what, what do you have for all the other kids? And, you know, it's like by trying to introduce something that wasn't there before, you're actually creating more problems. And now the kids might be fighting over the, the one toy that they didn't have before or things like that. <laughs> I, I don't recall mm-hmm. seeing like that scenario exactly, but they had briefed us uh, when we got there to be cautious of that. Don't don't just give people stuff. Um mm-hmm because those are the kind of situations that you can present to them that that we wouldn't have thought of because we're just thinking everybody would want what I have, and that's not necessarily true, you know? Right. <laughs> we like to project ourselves onto the world, don't we? Yeah, we do. Okay, so Noah, if I was to ask you then, what would you say have been, I mean, we've we've lived, you and I have some pretty similar backgrounds. And if I was to ask you what you would say as of this point in time, what your very biggest life lesson has been so far, what would you say is the top of the list? That's a really good question. And I would have to say my biggest life lesson so far is the realization that the stories that I have about life, about myself, about others, are just that, they're stories. And they seem so real, and they may not be. And I think the biggest 
aha moment I've had in my life so far was the realization that the story I have about myself, specifically myself, is also just a story and not uh, and not realizing how bound I was by that story. In this case, for me specifically, it was around I was losing my company. I, I've always been an entrepreneur, and it was instilled in me this idea of being an entrepreneur. And I didn't realize how I had fused my sense of identity with this label of a way of living, right? Being an entrepreneur is something that you do. It's not who you are. And yet here I was thinking this is who I am. And uh, years after having built up a big uh, company that was successful when the company started having problems and it was failing, it was a really painful experience. And I was able to kind of sit with the, uh, with the experience as it was unfolding to really explore why does this hurt so much? Like, it, like this kind of stuff happens all the time. It's not like I'm losing my life over this, but why does it hurt so much? And I realized how my sense of identity was totally wrapped up in that label and the label was getting ready to go away. That was a big aha moment for me that made me kind of dominoed into other aspects of my life where I realized I've been so attached to these stories of this is who I am or this is who you are or this is how life is. And every now and then something comes along and it kind of crushes that story and it makes you realize it was just a story all along. That was a big aha moment for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have story after story after story that I could tell about how those are the same kind of ahas I'm constantly having. Yeah. Okay, so I get that big time. I, I have come to the point in my own life where I realize that I am just projecting into the past and just projecting into the future as if I'm potentially right about any of those thoughts. And really, they're only my observations and they're only my perspective. And if I try to project those, like walking around like I used to, I, I, I'd liken this to uh, thinking exclusively versus inclusively. I, mean, I used to walk around thinking that I had this most special way to believe and that eventually I was going to help those around me come around to my special way of believing. And I've migrated to a more, much more inclusive kind of a mindset where I, I really I love just looking into people's black round pupils in their eyes and saying, what do you have to teach me? Because you're the only single person who's having this observation vantage point. And what I've been discovering is that every single person, especially the ones who are completely different than me, you know, like people that I would typically have not wanted to gravitate towards in the past, they become my biggest teachers. <laughs> and so I'm like, I've just become so grateful for the whole of it, for all of us. I mean, you got the guy down at the grocery store who's really nice and everything, but then the longer you talk to him, the more you find out that he's got all these little idiosyncrasies that bother you. And you've got the gal over at the post office who she seems real pleasant when you start talking to her. And then as soon as you talk to her a little bit longer, you find out that she's got all these little, little idiosyncrasies that you don't want to talk to. And we just find all these differences when we're identifying with our minds and, and seeing ourselves as these individuals I can totally relate relate with what you're talking about in my own life. Yeah. Anything else that you have said would be okay. This would be another life lesson. Um, I think another big life lesson that I've had is concerning um, my emotional states. You know, I feel like we go through life chasing after certain emotional states and chasing away other emotional states. 
And I thought that was kind of the point of life, right? Like you're trying to get more of this and less of that. If this is happiness and that is sadness, for example. Um, and that's another one of those aspects of, of life that I've, uh, I've come to realize the roller coaster of life is it's the whole thing. It's the ups and the downs, the fasts and the slow, uh, the moments where you're elated and the moments where you feel like throwing up. Right. And it's like, it's all of it. And part of the anguish that we experience on the ride is because we don't want the whole ride. We only want the pleasant parts. And I've, I've spent time understanding that for me personally in my own individual experience of being alive, it's become, there's much more contentment with the experience of being alive now that I feel like I've, I've put the various emotions and experiences on equal, on equal ground. You know, an instance where I may feel happy is just as unique and precious as an instance where I may be feeling sad because both of them are are unique in and of themselves, kind of like what you're describing with looking at someone in their eyes and recognizing like you're, you're experiencing a vantage point that nobody else is experiencing in life. I feel like I've come to see all of my own relationships with my thoughts and feelings and emotions in that same way where whatever I'm experiencing in that moment is, is precious because that's the thing I'm experiencing. So that, that's been, that's been a really neat transition to not feel such a strong aversion towards some emotions and such a strong clinging towards other emotions. Oh my, so much. I used to be ashamed of feeling certain emotions and I would try to suppress them as fast as I possibly could using any little tactic to just, (laughs) so we just end up skipping the now by just acting like our emotion isn't real <laughs> and you're saying to sit with it. How do you, what kind of language do you use? I know the words that I use, but I'd love to hear your language about how you talk about good and bad as it relates to how you used to view good and bad and what you would call good, if anything, or a greater good, if anything. Uh, yeah, I've, I've all, for the most part, eradicated the concept of good and bad out of my mind, I try to view everything in the context of skillful versus unskillful. And especially when it comes to, you know, experiences, as, as I'm having an experience, I realize I can have a skillful reaction or, or relationship with the experience as it's unfolding, or it can be a highly unskillful reaction. Um, and that, and that's kind of the angle that I take rather than thinking, oh, it was bad that I felt this way and that, that I said this and that I did that. I just see it more as, um, that wasn't very skillful of me because now I can see that at the time that feeling felt so wrong to have that feeling that I was pushing it away and it caused this spiral of reactions. And I, and I try to view it in that context, skillful versus unskillful. And I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I've extended that to whether these are things that I'm feeling inside or also the uh, interactions that I'm having with other people, conversations that we're having, you know, always in that context of what is the most skillful way to, to navigate this? It sounds awesome. I like it. I like it a lot. It's the way I have um, been saying it to myself, and I like this. I'm actually going to be thinking about this a lot, that I have found that all of the good that I've used to call good in the past has given me happiness. And then all the things that I called bad gave me unhappiness. 
And like you're saying, I just have found that life just is what it is anyway. And I can never control what anybody else is going to choose to do around me. And so by surrendering to the reality that it's always now, and I have to just accept what is, I've gotten to this place where I've seen all of the things that I used to call good and bad as just all part of this, what I've been calling the greater good, that it's all just there anyway. It just is what it is. And if I just accept the beingness of it, then I can have actual peace of mind. I found that the only place that I've been able to actually feel the power of the feeling of love that I can't put into words because words are just constructs that I can't, you know, talk about this experience of what it means to feel love. The only place I can ever feel it is in the now. Yeah. And it seems like it's inclusive of all of it. I mean, the I think it was um Gil Brand's, um The Prophet, that book, The, the Prophet, he uses this analogy of the, the wing, the, the, the loving swan or whatever, it is, whatever kind of bird it was that reaches out with its wings and brings you in and loves you in. And when you get in there, you realize there's also these sharp points that you have to deal with. <laughs> and it's like the, all the good and bad is just all just there and is what it is. And we can either complain and just keep on suffering or we can choose to just accept and find that there is a way past suffering what would you say that you have learned about suffering noah well number one that often the the greatest source of suffering that uh, i may be experiencing is self-inflicted and that's usually centered around these stories right like the moment i want something to be other than how it is that feeling that I would describe as suffering, that's what arises. And, um, and it's, it's a tricky one because like, even, even if I want to not want things to be how they are there, I'm caught in that same trap again. So it entails not just like recognizing that, well, this is how things are, but recognizing those moments where, uh, I don't want things to be how they are. And I can accept that, you know, it's almost like that idea of, it's okay sometimes that it's not okay, right? That's right. also a form of acceptance. <laughs> right. Gotta accept it, right? It is what it is. Yeah. And so what I strive to do in, in moments like that is just to, to seek more understanding. Like, why, why does this matter so much to me? Why am I feeling this? Where does this come from? And being as introspective as I can. And there's often something pretty revealing to be learned about myself when I'm willing to do that internal exploration, you know? Oh, totally. What would you say you have learned as it pertains to um, self-deception and self-honesty? Oh, that one's tricky. You know, I read this book uh, that I really enjoyed called Hidden Motives, and it, it, it talks about, you know, why we do some of the things that we do. And the reality is sometimes we don't know. Uh, sometimes we do. If you if you can if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you may realize, oh, this is why I'm being nice, you know, to this person because I'm wanting to get something out of it, or you know, something like that. There's always some kind of a hidden motive, and sometimes we can identify it, and sometimes we just can't. We, we're just conditioned by our upbringing, our societal views, uh, perhaps religious views, uh, different things that kind of make us who we are and make us do things and say things and think things. And we may not even know that that's why we do it. And I feel like it's been important to 
recognize that there are instances where I just don't know. I'm not sure, you know, I, I may not know, and that's okay too. But the the instances that I'm most concerned about are the ones where I am deceiving myself or pretending that this is why I'm doing this, when in reality <laughs> I'm not. It's like no, I'm actually doing this. You know, like Facebook is a is a good example of this. You get on there and there's some conversation happening, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna comment on there. It's like yeah, because I want to, you know, I want to resolve this debate that's being had on the, on this thread, and. If you were to really dig deeper, you may discover, no, I just want others to know that I'm, you know, that I consider myself to be pretty darn smart on this topic. <laughs> you know, right. it, it could be something like that, that if you were honest with yourself, you may find that. And that's been, that's been a fascinating thing for me. Again, not, never projecting this out like, oh, that's why they're saying this. I don't know why, why they're doing right. it. But it's very interesting when you spend the time and realize, oh, that's why I'm reacting this way. That's why I want to say this or do that. Uh, it's how, for me, it's it's always about what can I learn about myself in this situation, you know? Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, what would you say about um, how do you view the whole concept of um, complaining versus gratitude? Complaining versus gratitude, I feel like uh, if we were to look at this, for me, it seems like it's a matter of perspective. When my when my perspective is narrow or short-sighted, it's easy to complain about something. But the, the bigger I can make my perspective, like zooming out and seeing a, a bigger picture, it's usually uh, more natural to feel a sense of gratitude. For example, you're standing in, in a long line and it's like, why, you know, why do I have to be standing in this line? But you, you zoom out a little bit and realize all these intricate pieces of the puzzle that are taking place that are making it this way. And it's, and, and it's not about me, you know, the, the line has zero interest in my experience of how long I have to stand in it. Um, others are standing in the line too. Um, and I feel like when I can, when I can do that and I can take a moment and see, uh, the bigger picture, uh, gratitude arises naturally. And I have a, a question that I like to bring up when I'm experiencing these moments. For example, at a red light, you're like, ah, oh, I'm stuck at the red mm -hmm. light. I like to pause and say, what did it take for this moment to arise? And then I just look around. And sometimes I'll look down. I've done this where I'll look down at the, at the dashboard and all the buttons and all the little intricate things that went into uh, the design of, of, of my car and like, where did this button come from? I wonder who designed this. I wonder who who popped that little button into place. Maybe it was a robot. If it was a robot, was someone controlling it? If it was software, who designed that software? And suddenly, you know, you can take a little moment to ask right. yourself, what did it take for this moment to arise? And suddenly you're overwhelmed with gratitude. I've done this with the red light itself. Like, uh, who, whose idea was that? Because that's pretty brilliant. If it was only green lights, we'd have all chaos. But because sometimes <laughs> it's red and sometimes it's green, it works best for the traffic uh, on both sides. The guys going left and right and the ones going straight, you know, up and down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like gratitude arises naturally with, with a bigger perspective. And with a smaller perspective, it's hard to feel grateful because all we care about is how this is affecting us and our narrow view. Oh my, so true. <laughs> it's all about the perspective we're choosing to focus on at that exact moment. So I like, it just seems like it, 
a, a masterful question to ask because it takes your attention immediately to some other thing other than the fact that, oh, this is not a good thing that I'm sitting here waiting in this line or in traffic or whatever it is. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I'll, I'll be uh, asking myself that exact same question. Yeah. What did it take for this moment to arise? I like it a lot. Yeah. Okay, so how do you talk about our ego and the the benefits versus how we get trapped in our ego what how do you how do you summarize the whole concept in for yourself of the ego being either the pilot or the co-pilot or however you talk about that i'd love to hear your perspective on this yeah i think the ego is a tricky one for me i i view the ego very much as uh, it's the tricky thing that the ego is the one that's talking about the ego right so it makes it it makes it kind of complicated to explain the ego because there's me as this you know body that uh, has blood flowing through it it has a brain with electrical waves that make it think things and and I'm experiencing all of that and then there's the one that's experiencing it and then there's the part of me that observes the experience and I'm not entirely sure what the ego is. If it's just an illusion, if it's, um, you know, if it's a construct, if it's an illusion of an illusion, how, how deep does that go? And I've, I've joked before that if I were able to peek behind the curtains to see the ego, what I would see is myself peeking behind the curtains seeing the ego, <laughs> you know? Right. And, <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of how I view it. Like, I, I don't know. I think... Uh, the ego would be the one seeing itself, I guess. Um, so I, I try to remind myself, like I have this natural thing that arises in me because I'm human that we would call the ego, but that's not me. Um, it, because I can't separate that from the other aspects of me. Like when I'm eating food, for example, and it's something that I enjoy, is it really me that likes the flavor or is it my taste buds and the DNA that made my taste buds the way that they are that like that flavor, right? Like I, did I consciously choose to like this flavor? Some people like Brussels sprouts, some people don't because of a single gene that determines whether they can have the bitter taste, you know? Mm -hmm. And so is it really me that likes something when I'm liking it? Um, I don't know. I think those are really deep questions that are fun to entertain and to think about and explore so mm -hmm. uh, i like to remind myself in those moments that i feel like there is an ego and that i don't want that ego to be there is it it's almost like is it egotistical to not want the ego to be there like who's the, <laughs> what who's the one who doesn't want the ego to be there i would assume that's the ego <laughs> um so yeah uh, that's that's always an interesting topic to explore. <laughs> Such a fascinating thing. I've seen it as like this amazing thing that I get to play with. But the more self-aware that I become, the more I get to observe, like what you're saying, that I am just getting to play with it. <laughs> so it's yeah. like I'm just this being. The real essence of me is is connected to everything and everyone. And I have this beingness of all of that. And then, and then I've got this, you know, when I take the focus down to just acting like I'm an individual, now everything is all about differences. And yeah, it's, it's a fascinating conversation. We can talk about that part all day. But I wanted to get your thoughts also on one more thing. And then anything else that you feel like it would be good to share. I've had all kinds of experiences lately in 
what I call lovingly leaning into my edges, the edges of my comfort zones. I've had so many conversations with myself about my comfort zones because as I've sat and observed and tried to just become more okay with surrendering to everything as it is, I've discovered that I have all these actual limits, you know, that, are, that I've built up so far in my programming or whatever, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But what I've found is that when I push into the edge of my comfort zone, instead of like I used to just imagine like a comfort zone, like being like a circle around me, whether it's a physical comfort zone or an emotional comfort zone or a mental comfort zone or a social comfort zone or a spiritual comfort zone. I used to like get out toward the edge and I would feel the pain out there at that edge. And so I would typically just retreat and come back and live, you know, and seek out some kind of a desire instead, all the while staying inside this circle and living this self-sabotagingly smaller life than what I could have lived if I would have found out what was outside that circle. And so as I've been lovingly leaning into these edges of any circle, whether it's like you were mentioning emotional, I mean, I've had so many experiences now just sitting with my emotions, being okay with them, watching them as they change. And the new perspectives that I gain because of that, they seem to just be transforming me at such an alarming rate because I'm willing to actually push into that pain that I used to see as something that, oh, that's not a good thing. But now I've seen how helpful it can be and how much more skillful it has made me when it comes to actually now dealing with those same kinds of emotions, you know, different types of agitating circumstances that I go through. What are your thoughts about comfort zones and how have you approached your own comfort zones, Noah? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like as a society, we kind of tend to what you would call the have what you would call the dualistic mindset where there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's here and there's there, right? And the concept of the grass is always greener on the other side is the, is the same concept of I'm here and I want to be there. And then there's kind of this Eastern way of thinking that says, well, there is no there because the moment you get there, there's no there there. It's always here, right? Mm-hmm. And that, um, that way of thinking has translated a little bit into the discussion of uh, comfort zones for me in the context of there's my comfort zone and then there's some somewhere else, the, uh, this other place, whether it's more comfortable or less comfortable, it's some other zone. And I'm playing that same game. I'm here and I want to be there. Um, and I've kind of, uh, I've realized that for me in my own practice, what I'm really trying to do, what seems to be more skillful than going from the zone I'm in to some new zone is to be to become essentially more comfortable with discomfort rather mm-hmm. than avoiding discomfort i'm just trying to become more comfortable with discomfort and that mm-hmm. ends up being much more skillful than trying to eradicate all those rough edges that i don't like that that bring discomfort there's an analogy about this with a tibetan poet who was going around the world gathering up leather trying to put leather down on all the, you know, all the rocky edges and all the sharp parts of the world so that he could walk comfortably because he walked (laughs) barefoot. And some, uh, someone pointed out to him that wouldn't it be better to use that leather and and make yourself some protection for your feet and then you can walk (laughs) anywhere. And, and I always thought that was fascinating because it's like we are going around life trying to patch up all these rough spots where I don't want that one to hurt me, so I'll go work on that, rather than focusing on uh, using those same tools to protect 
the soles of our feet. Then we can walk anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I like that as a visual when I'm thinking about the context of comfort zones. I'm always wondering, you know, what what am I doing to make my uh, my leather shoes or my feet more prone to walking on more difficult uh, terrain rather than avoiding the difficult terrain in the first place? Yeah, so awesome. I love talking to you, Noah. You are one of my favorite people on the entire planet to talk to. Uh, uh, no doubt. You, I mean, I'm serious. You have a way about you that is just beautiful. You're a beautiful human, and I watch and I get to feel the experience of what it feels like to, to see and experience your positive impact and feel so much power in that. I just want to thank you, tell you I'm extremely grateful for our connection. Any last thoughts on anything that you want to talk about at all whatsoever? I do want to thank you for the time. I know it takes time and effort to put these things together. And it is an honor that you would uh, want to spend time talking with me. I, I did have a thought I was thinking earlier. Did, have you ever heard or come across the the Taoist parable of the horse? It's the like, who knows what is good and what is bad parable. Will you tell it real quick? I You're rem, you're reminding me. I've, I've heard somebody tell this and um, it's the uh, he ends up going. On, yeah, I do. I do know the story, but I can't recite it. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this in, in the context of what you, you've been talking about with, with presence and our, as we were talking, the first part of the conversation was kind of the meaning that we're making about things being good or, or being bad. And this, this is a, a Taoist parable that uh, comes from China that I've always liked. And in its short form, it's saying the essence of the story is that there was a, a farmer who had a horse and the horse showed up out of the blue and his neighbor came running over and said, how fortunate for you, you have a horse. And he said, well, who knows what is good and what is bad and goes about his day and the horse runs away and the neighbor comes running over. He's like, oh no, your horse is gone. This is horrible. And <laughs> the old man says, well, who knows what is good and what is bad, goes about uh, his activities. The horse comes back with like four additional horses. Again, the neighbor comes running over thinking this is a great thing. And then his, the farmer's son is working with one of the horses, gets bucked off and breaks his leg. And the neighbor's like, oh, no, this is horrible. Your only son. And the next day, the army comes into town and they're conscripting all the youth and they can't take his son because his leg's broken. And at some point in the story, it just kind of ends with the neighbor running over to say this is good or this is bad. But instead pauses and says, yeah, who knows what is good and what is bad. Um, <laughs> right. And that's that's kind of the version I've heard. And, and, and what it's become for me is just this constant reminder that life is happening at, at any given moment. Things are happening. And we are the ones who are pausing and making meaning. Oh, this is a good thing. Or, oh, this is a bad thing. With a very limited perspective of how this, you know, this experience fits as a piece of the puzzle and the big, big picture that we just can't, we can't see and how oftentimes I can look back into my own life and see events that I would have uh, emphatically uh, agreed at the time that these were bad events or, th- or unpleasant or all these other things, only to find out later uh, have been pivotal moments that led to this mm-hmm. other thing that down the road, I'm like, well, wow, I'm glad that happened because had that not happened, this wouldn't have happened, you know? Um, and exactly. I think I think that's just a really useful story for us to hear, especially here in the West, as we go through life, playing this game of assigning meaning to everything, and some things are good and some things are bad, 
And sometimes just taking a break and like, like you always talk about, just be in the, in the moment, just be with what's happening and, and stop thinking of this as this is a good or a bad thing that's happening to me and just say, this is what's happening. What does it feel like to be going through this? Where do these emotions come from? Why does it feel this way? And just becoming more aware of the relationship that we have with our experiences as they're unfolding. I think that's, you know, that's what I would end this on as an invitation uh, the whole premise of, of your podcast uh, with presence is, is that like you are that story and you're going, uh, whoever's listening, right? You're, you're listening to this and you're going through something in your life. This just happened or this other thing's about to happen. Like we're all playing that game and, and we're all waiting to see, well, is this thing a good thing or a bad thing? And what if we could just pause for a moment and think, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign meaning. I'm just gonna really experience this as it unfolds and see what oh, happens it's so hard it's so so hard yeah <laughs> to, to not to not assign meaning because we have all this experience that we have to that we immediately start pulling from it's like this this pressure like i have to i have to call it something i have to call it something yeah and when you let go of that need to feel like you have to be right about it and just like just say hey what does this feel like what did it take for this moment to arise what, what can i gain from this how can this, you know, you, you talked about when we first started talking, how you, you, you're in a back brace because you just sprained your back. I, I'm yeah. in a, a wrist brace. I just wiped out on my mountain bike. I got a concussion. <laughs> I hurt both my hands. I, I just recently went through shoulder surgery. I mean, just all these things that, you know, how are they actually playing parts? And if I didn't have those, who would I, who would I have not connected with? Who would I have not, you know, what experiences wouldn't I have had? I think it's, yeah. I think it's a beautiful way to, to wrap it up. Yeah. You're awesome, Noah. You're beautiful. I love you, brother. I love you uh, so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Love you too. This was uh, my absolute pleasure. Cool. Well, I'm excited for, for your podcast, and I'm excited just for everything that you're doing. Fun stuff. Thank you. Thank you. We're just a couple of hermanos trying to do our part, huh? Yeah. <laughs> when somebody asks you, to define love or if anybody ever does ask you to define love how, what do you say because words are so limiting yeah it really is I, I don't know that I've been asked that before but I think if I were it would be something like I know what it is but I can't explain it but I can feel it and I think of it in the context of my family right like how would I explain that to my kids what it is to love them to me that's the perfect example of well I can't but one day you might get to know what that feels like and then you'll know how I felt, you know, <laughs> being your dad. Um, uh, it's kind of like with time. It's like we all kind of know what it is. We've invented ways to measure it. But at the same time, I'd love to hear someone really explain what it is because I think if we try, most of us realize, actually, I don't know what it is. All, right. all we know how to do is measure it in the context of sun comes up or sun goes down we'll divide that into this form of measurement into hours or minutes and i think with love sometimes it's similar like we try to define it but by defining it we limit it and it's so much more than just doing something for someone saying something nice it's, it's so much more than that it can't be defined it's just it's an experience yep experience you're awesome noah well, thank you so much this has been just beautiful love it thank you so much i'm very grateful that you're willing to sit down and have a conversation with me 
Awesome. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it.